0: verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin.
1: Thanks, everyone, for turning up today. If you are relatively new to the church, thank you very much for making the effort. Um, on a day like today, I believe that Paul Pudman will have the boats organised at the end of the service to get us all home. It's a wet day. But it's good because we needed rain and it's, it's a good thing. Let me pray as we come to look at God's Word. Father God, thank you for the rain. Thank you for the life that you give. Thank you for communion that we can affirm the life we have in the Lord Jesus through his bloodshed and his body broken for us. Thank you for the truths we've just sung. And as we look at your word, we pray that the truth of your word may impact our hearts so that we obey and so that our church grows to please you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen in our series in Romans, Romans chapter 14. So get your Bibles open. It's good stuff, practical stuff, written to the church in Rome but relevant to us. I want to start by telling you about a vision that I have of creating a sculpture garden. Maybe you've been to a sculpture garden. It'll be perhaps a little bit like this one on the picture but it'll be different. You see that path going past the sculpture? Not in my sculpture garden. In my sculpture garden the path... Will lead right into the sculptures, and so that when you come to, say, the dinosaur tail, you will have to step around and over and maybe even climb over the top end of the dinosaur table tail. When you come to the web of life, you'll walk straight into it, and you'll have to get through the web of life. And as you do this, you'll be experiencing the art. You'll be touching the sculpture. You'll be feeling it. It won't just be a thing out there that you're looking at. You come to the storm tossed sea and all these irregular things, and you'll be walking over the storm tossed sea, and you'll get that experience of being thrown about. I love this piece. I love this piece. You know, rodents thinker? We're going to have something like rodents thinker, but big. And you'll come to that, and you'll walk up into the leg. Climb up past the heart until you enter the brain space of the thinker. And you'll be thinking, what am I thinking? In the thinker. And then down through the nostril, down to the ground. My sculpture park is going to be a little bit like a trip to Ikea. But better. We'll have a cafe at the end. We'll have a gift shop. And when we open, the buses will start turning up because this is going to be popular. They're always looking for activities like Slack. If Slack still existed, I know Slack would go to my sculpture park. School kids, they'll turn up by the dozen. They'll probably have the Blind Society, Cerebral Palsy Association, mums and dads with prams will turn up. So exciting. But here's the thing, I can just see it also if I... My critical faculty, then the reports start coming through. Uh, uh, Old lady down at the web of life. Old lady has fallen over the web of life. And then the ambulances start turning up with the buses. Someone tripped over the dinosaur tail. A little child stuck up in the thinker's brain won't come down, scared of heights. What's the problem then? People start making requests. Can't you just put a path around the sculptures? (laughs) <laughs> Philistines. They don't get it, do they? They've got no sense of artistic appreciation. Why don't they just get their act together? Why don't they just get in shape and experience the art the way it was designed to be experienced? So there's whinging and whining and immature people coming to my sculpture park and I will not compromise. My artistic Credentials. You come to my sculpture park, you experience my sculpture park the way you're supposed to experience it. We don't come at all. Meanwhile, the injury toll rises. So we set up cameras, you know, a camera on the web of life, one on the dinosaur tail. (laughs) And then we look at the the images and we post them on YouTube. And they get millions of hits because it's so funny. Oh, lady down on the web of life. Oh, did you see how she fell down? Blind man runs in the dinosaur tail. Oh, that's so funny. You think it's funny? What do you think of my dinosaur park? My dinosaur park. My sculpture park. You just don't. You're not going to do it, are you? You don't do it. You don't put obstacles in people's way, intentionally. In fact, in Australia, my sculpture park would not be allowed. It would be shut down. It's a health and safety nightmare. What we do in Australia is we adjust. We put in lots and lots of effort to make sure that people do not fall over, do not stumble so that it's safe. We don't want people getting injured and artistic appreciation, the way I want it to happen, falls way down the priority list because safety is right up here. That's how it is in the Kingdom of Australia. You go to any public development, you'll see lots of effort put in to making sure that there is public safety. No stumbling blocks. If it's safety first in the Kingdom of of Australia how much more so should it be in the kingdom of God? Here's a message from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 14. One of the laws, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. We're in this series in exile together. We're exiles, we're members of the kingdom of God together in church, like they were in Rome. And in this church in Rome, there's this division between what Paul calls the weak and the strong. Probably Jew mostly and Gentile, non-Jew mostly. It seems to be over issues of what sort of food we can eat, whether it's okay to drink wine, which days we celebrate as holy days. And there's people from vastly different backgrounds with different perspectives and they've got to be the church together. They've got to be in exile in a new kingdom, God's kingdom together as Christians. And all the tensions that brings. And last, we looked at it a few weeks ago. The first thing they need to do about their divisions is just get your mindset right. And that is a mindset of grace. Paul says, God owns you, God accepts you, and God judges you. Therefore, do not stand in judgment of others, except that it's all by grace that you're in this kingdom. So, that's the first thing you've got to do is get your mindset right. We start with grace in the church. But, but starting with grace doesn't get rid of the tensions, it doesn't solve the problem. So, Paul is in this passage we're looking at moving on towards an approach towards solving the problems. How do you approach the problem? Got your mindset right, it's all about grace. Now, let's start approaching this difficulty, this division. And I think it's a little bit like setting up a factory or a workspace or a public development. When you set up a factory or a development, it's safety first. Before you do anything, will it be safe? We do that. In this passage, just so you know, Paul argues in a way that was very common in the ancient world. We give it a fancy name as a structure called a palindrome but basically it means this. You argue into your point and then you argue back out of your point. So the main point is usually found in the middle of the argument with the various arguments almost repeated on either side and that's exactly what Paul does up to verse 21. From verses 13 to 21. So we're going to follow that structure in a nice Western format of just linearly from here to there, not the ancient palindrome structure. First thing is that Paul brings out is the principle of hazard reduction. You need to get rid of hazards. Now, have you ever? I don't know if you ever. Some of you would have certainly done a safety audit at work. Maybe even here in church. We've done them here in church. It's a common thing. Have you ever done one? Safe workplaces do not just happen. They require hard thought and intention. If you're doing a safety audit, you live with this big long list and then you walk around and you try and look for any hazards that might be. And you try and think of hazards that you haven't even thought of. And you tick off and you say, could that be dangerous? Could that be dangerous? Is this safe? Is it someone going to fall over that? It's a lot of effort and a lot of intention. The option to doing a safety audit, one of the easy options, and people will say this, is just to blame other people. <laughs> Who would be so stupid as to fall over that electrical lead? There's not a problem with the electrical lead. You're stupid if you fall over it. Who would be so stupid as to stick their hand in the machine? And so you blame other people and as you blame them, you judge them. You don't fix up the hazard because it's their fault. This is the problem in the church of Rome. They're starting with blaming and judging. So back in, earlier in chapter 14 verse 1, Paul says, "...accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters." Accept him as God accepts first. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Stop blaming a fellow servant because God, God will make him stand and the Lord is able to make him stand because we all belong to God. In verse 10 of this passage. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you look down on your brother? Because we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. See, stop blaming, stop judging. We get to the start of our passage. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. There's a play on words there which isn't translated in our NIVs in the English here. Paul says literally, therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, exercise your judgment in this. How can you stop putting stumbling blocks in each other's way? You know, when there's a dispute in the church, differences of opinion about something, maybe food, drink, clothing, whatever, maybe even doctrine, it takes a lot of mental energy. People put in a lot of thought, what's right, what's wrong and when you become convinced of your own opinion you put in even more mental energy. You think, oh how can I argue that this is right and that they're wrong and we really, really need to have purple carpets because that would be more honouring to God, look like a bishop on a carpet or whatever. And You think and you think and Paul's saying don't do your thinking about your differences. Do all your thinking, all your judging and discerning as to how you can stop making other people stumble so that you don't put a stumbling block in their way. That's what I want you to think hard about as you do your safety audit because it's safety first. Now the issue in Rome as we're looking at chapter 14 and 15 was food and drink. Verse 20. And the back half. All food is clean. But it is wrong for any man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Don't put stumbling blocks up. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Do not put sculptures in the middle of the pathway that someone has to walk straight through. Don't put up stumbling blocks. It's a very simple principle. Hazard reduction. Rather than standing on your rights and your freedoms and insisting that you get your way, consider first the safety of others and adjust for them. Can you see this is a very basic principle? This is not complicated. This is what we do in Australia. What we do with safety in Australia, do in the church with your convictions that might cause somebody else to fall. Hazard reduction. Don't put stumbling blocks up. But heres I know there's complications about this because you get a really fit army recruit and they're sent over an obstacle course and they jump and they leap and they climb and it's fine and you get a blind elderly man and navigating a step is really, really hard. So what is a hazard? That's what you do when you do a hazard audit, you try, is that really a hazard? Is that electrical cord really dangerous? What is a hazard in God's church? What is risk in the kingdom of God? What is it to fall? in the kingdom of God. That's the question we need to ask. And to answer that question, we need to go back to gospel basics that we've been singing. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Jesus came to rebuild and restore a fallen world and fallen people, people who have already stumbled. He came to pick them up and restore them and renew them. The great danger in the church is that we fail to let Jesus pick us up and save us from our sins. The great danger is that we fail to trust in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. The great danger is we do anything that might stop our brother or our sister trusting in Jesus as Saviour and Lord so that they fall into sin. Fall into a, away from faith in Jesus. Back to faith in themselves. And it may be that there's something that you can easily leap over. That's not going to make me fall in my faith in Jesus. But your brother or sister will stumble over it and fall. You don't want them to fall. Just because you know the electrical cord's always been there and you've never tripped over it doesn't mean that somebody else won't see it. Or we'll have an issue there. Now, the hazard is not sin. Paul's talking about food and drink and days, holy days. Those things are not sin. It's not food or drink or clothing or anything else that is out there that comes into us. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus taught this very thing. Jesus said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, slander, arrogance and folly. And lewdness I left out of line (laughs) and deceit. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Okay, so Paul's saying to the church in Rome, it's not those things that are unclean, that make you unclean, it's, it's you, and it's, with, it's it's the within. In fact, Paul says here, if we look at verse 14, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Actually, no thing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. It's not the thing out there, but it's our hearts. It's what's on the inside that makes things unclean. Let me give you an example. If you go to a furniture or a design shop at the moment, there's a good chance, or even a garden place, there's a good chance you'll see lots of Buddhas. Buddhas are very in with interior and our exterior design. Now, A Buddha for my garden, so I had a a Buddha for my garden, it is just a lump of stone or cement. It's a sculpture. It's nothing. It's just a sculpture. But if I can tell you, if I got a Buddha from the shop and I put it in my front garden, it would be sin for me. Because I could not disassociate that statue with the symbolism of that statue in my brain which says it is a challenge to the lordship of Jesus. It's, it's just a statue, it's nothing. But for me it's a stumbling block. I cannot put that in my front garden or a picture on the wall of my house. If there was a Roman God in the garden shop and I didn't even know it was a Roman God and it was just some old antique looking sculpture and I thought that will look really cool in my garden. I had no associations with it. It's not sin, it's just a sculpture. It's just a lump of concrete shaped. You get the difference? The sin comes from within, not from, the, not, not from without. If I went to your house... And you had a Buddha in your front garden. I'm going to walk up your life. I thought Mary Ann was a Christian. Is it okay to put Buddhas in your front yard? As a Christian? Does it, is, isn't Jesus the one and only? It's a stumbling block for me. I'm telling you, I don't want Buddhas in your front garden. Don't do it to me. It's going to be a threat to my faith even though it's just a lump of concrete. Last week I went and played cards uh, with a bunch of Baptist pastors. I was away with them for a few days and we played cards. Fifty years ago, probably half of Baptist pastors wouldn't have played cards. They would have considered it wrong. They would have considered it an association with worldliness and gambling and, and, and perhaps the start of a slippery slope. But we're all very happy to play cards. Because it's just cards. It's just a game of... You know, strategy and chance and probability. Cards are nothing. If I had gone to that pastor's meeting and I had a conviction that it was wrong to play cards and they said, come on John, play 500 with us. No, 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 no. And they said, no, we insist, we insist, we insist. And I give in and I'm playing cards. I'm feeling terribly guilty that I'm dishonouring my God the whole time. Guess what? I have sinned. And they have led me to stumble. The cards are not the issue. It's what's in my heart and my associations, in my conscience. And I have to respect my conscience and obey my conscience. And they, as my brothers in Christ, they need to respect my conscience. And so we don't want you to play cards because we don't want you to stumble. That's the principle we're dealing with. Safety first. Now you might say, well John, you're wrong about cards. And I think you'd be right. I don't think there's anything wrong with playing cards. You might say, John, you're wrong about cards. You need to fix your eyes and just come and play cards with me. Now you might say that, but here's the thing. Don't get me to play cards and stumble. You might want to... Give me eye surgery so I can see things better, but don't insist that I play cards till I start seeing things more in a more true way. We need to make sure we don't lead people into sin because that is the real danger. We need to reduce hazards in the church. Verse fourteen As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food or cards are unclean in themselves. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Verse 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything like playing cards that will cause your brother to fall. Now I'm not suggesting you stop playing cards because I don't think that's an issue in our fellowship. But if it was, I would be very careful about it. I picked that one because I don't think it's an issue. In other words, respect your your brothers and sisters as conscientious convictions because that's where sin starts, on the inside. If I read down in verse 22 and I replace the food with cards. So whatever you believe about playing cards, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who doubts about playing cards, well, he's condemned if he plays cards because he is playing cards not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Safety first. Do not fall away from Jesus. Respect your conscience. Obey your conscience. Respect the conscience of others and don't lead them to disobey their conscience. And the warning is, verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat or because you're playing in cards, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not destroy your brother. Do not, by your conviction of your freedoms, lead your brother to fall. That's a terrible thing to do. In fact, we're to do the opposite. We're to build them up. But you say, no, it's my, but it's my right. This is ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with playing cards. True, brothers and sisters. I don't believe there is anything wrong with playing cards. And I believe Buddhist statues are just lumps of concrete. But safety first in the church. Safety first. And you may not have a problem with the electrical lead but if someone's elderly comes along and they stumble over it, uh, safety first. Because our guiding principle is love. That's because we're Christians, yeah? And is it loving... To do something that makes your brother and sister or sister fall to allow something that lets your brother or sister fall that 's not loving because safety is just a love in practice isn't it, so that all of us put up with inconvenience for the good of others, very often for the good of others who aren't as strong as we are perhaps the elderly or the infirm or the, those who have bad sight. We have safety things that cause restrictions on us for the good of others. That's called love. When I worked in factories, there were machine guards everywhere. They have this toothpaste line running. There's guards all over the place. And it was so frustrating, these guards, because if something simple went wrong, you could just reach in and grab the thing and pull it out and there's this rotten guard right in front of you. Why do we have those guards on the machines? Because of safety. If you open that guard up, the whole machine shuts down because you might might think you're just going to pull that piece of paper out from underneath that and, and you put your hand in too far and you've lost your whole hand. It chews it up. Completely unmerciful. Does it make it inconvenient? Yes. Is it good practice to put in safety guards on your machinery? Absolutely yes, because you cannot have people losing their hands. An unsafe factory, and there are plenty around the world, puts profit before people. They do not exercise love. And when things are made in an unsafe factory that doesn't prioritise safety, that company should have a bad reputation. You shouldn't buy products from companies that make products in bad factories like that because they don't care for people. And it's the same in church. You want to exercise your freedoms, come what may, because it's okay, it's safe for me. Well, verse 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, says Paul. I think what Paul is saying there is the reputation of the church, which is the bride of Christ, is at stake. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Do not consider what is good, your good, to be spoken of as evil. Yes, you're free in Christ. Yes, you're part of his body. But if you do not love people, if you do not behave towards others in a safe way, do not be surprised when people speak badly of you and your church. And there are some unsafe and unlovely churches in existence. There's churches where people ride roughshod over the others just because they're so convinced of their own rightness, of their own course. and they forget about love and they forget about the basics, that is the body and the bride of Christ is to be radiant. Because they're so busy getting their way and exercising their freedoms, the body and the bride of Christ looks be awful. of the convictions I have you might do it for the outsider oh look we're making all these changes we're just doing this and people are getting offended and the body's getting all stirred up because we're trying to appeal to the outsider you know what the outsider comes in and sees he sees a church that doesn't love one another and your music's going a certain way and your ministries look this way and everything's so contemporary and grand or whatever you think's 100% right the church should be 100% right and the outsider comes in and says this is ugly And all those other things that we might ride roughshod over people for, the outsider comes and says, "These people love one another, and they love me." Like there's something weird going on here, and all those trivial little things—they just—they're not, not important. Your music, how dark your church is, the way you do communion—oh, we could go on and on. They're not as important as brothers and sisters loving one another with the deep, deep love of Jesus. Not when it comes to evangelism. You can get some ugly churches where people make YouTubes of them and they'll post them up and everybody has a laugh and it's terrible. Paul writes, Therefore let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or cards or statues and art. Back in chapter 12 we're called to be living sacrifices. With our spiritual worship Paul says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. That is church. Martin Luther, the great reformer said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. Hallelujah, in Christ it's true. We are free, subject to none. The next sentence, a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone because we follow Jesus. That's true. And the bride of Christ must be radiant. And that will not happen if we in our zeal keep putting stumbling blocks, (coughs) which only the strong can traverse, in the way. And let the weak fall and fall and fall and fall. It's terrible. We are exiles. We're in a new kingdom. We're fit for the mission and the work of God, I believe. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things you desire will be added to you. You know, we are, memory verse we're sort of sticking to this year, we are our chosen people, a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're people who, who are God's own possession that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Well, how great it is to be a Christian. So, verse 16. You Remember I said he sort of drives to the middle of his argument and then comes out. Verse 16 and 17 are the main point. Do not allow what... Sorry, verse 17 and 18. But I'll start at 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or playing cards or artwork, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. In the Kingdom of Australia, safety matters. Because people matter. How much more in the Kingdom of God? should safety matter? Because how much more for us do people matter? All people, weak and strong. In in the church we shouldn't be trying to win debates, although there are arguments to be had and differences of opinion. We shouldn't be trying to get our own way, although we should be free to speak our mind with love. In the church there are boundaries, there are things we should not do. But it's not about watching the boundaries and watching to see if someone falls over the boundaries or not. In the kingdom of God, in the church, there is enormous freedom. But you know, it's not even about exercising our freedom and flaunting it. What matters is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you have a sculpture garden? Well, in my vision, I want people to experience the art just the way I want them to experience the art, right? That's not why you have a sculpture garden. Only a lunatic does that. I think you set up a sculpture garden so people can enjoy the sculpture garden. So they can go into beautiful surrounds and be inspired and find joy in company with other people in the way they want, in a nice environment. And if it's an unsafe place, if there are people falling over and getting stuck up in brains or whatever, nobody's going to enjoy it. And the government will shut it down because it is not fit for the Kingdom of Australia. Why does Christ have his people, his church? His body? So that everybody does things my way and we always do things just the way it should be done and everybody's... The church is given, I think, the hope of the world so that people might encounter Jesus through his body. That they, through his people, come to know God and find hope and life. That they be included in this chosen people, this royal priesthood that declare God's praises. That they become these exiles in this new kingdom who are fit for God's mission work. That they enter God's eternal kingdom. That's why God has his church. So they come to know his goodness and his grace and his glory and his wonder. If we are arguing and falling into differences over trivial little things, if people are falling over and getting hurt, don't be surprised if God shuts us down. If we're failing to love first, if we're failing to put safety first, eternal safety first, to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is all about righteousness and joy and eternal peace in the Holy Spirit to come under the Lordship of Jesus is all about salvation and salvation is eternal safety how dare we do anything that threatens that just because you have your convictions your freedoms, how dare you do anything that threatens somebody else's eternal security. But they fall away from the lordship and goodness and salvation of Jesus Christ. So, what I want us to do is have a safe church. Which means we'll need to think hard about these things. There's no easy, have you ever done a safety audit? There's no easy answers. There's some obvious things when you do a safety audit, and then there's things you think, oh, there's no easy answers. But is our commitment to making sure that no one falls? Are we thinking hard about it? Are you thinking hard about your life and your freedoms or your convictions and how they impact others? You are free in Christ. And therefore with joy you are subject to all, because you should be compelled and controlled by love. And in church that's working for the health of the whole body, for peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what I want in this church. Let me pray.